Welcome to Cheaper Than Therapy, a podcast that journeys into conversations that demystify, destigmatize, and desensitize what goes on both inside the therapy room and in daily life. I'm Vanessa Bennett. And I'm Danae Logan. And we are seekers, soul sisters, and holders of sacred space. Every week, we sit down for soul-provoking conversations with fellow seekers, thought leaders, change makers, and even real people during live coaching sessions as they navigate the hard work it takes to be a human. This is Cheaper Than Therapy. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. We're so grateful that you are here with us. I mean it. Yeah, today we're talking to Quentin DeCamp. Quentin is an embodied relationship coach, a somatic therapist, and a breathwork facilitator. He's also a writer, content creator, and he has this unique perspective of using his writing and his own sense of humor in his work. Quentin intertwines spirituality, science-based ideas, and other diverse approaches in a way that makes the work something that anyone can relate to. This conversation, I swear, I feel like we're saying this now about so many people because so far season three (laughs) has Mm. been one of those where every interview has been like, can we do a part two with you? Can we have you back? (laughs) (laughs) I, I feel like we're saying this every time, but this was one of those where I was like, we could talk to you for hours. Like, can we can you come back? Um, first of all, what a depth of a soul. Like he, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. Depth is just like the word that comes up. Like there is nothing surface about this man. He goes there. Yes. He gets straight to the point. He is able to articulate concepts. I think multiple concepts today that you and I have talked about like ad nauseum and he mm-hmm. said them in a way that both of us were like, oh shit. Like, yeah. Ahas, right? I've never heard someone speak to that in that way before. Yeah. And I, I think one of the things I love so much about his content, he really gets into this in the episode, is the personal responsibility piece, which mm-hmm. I feel like has really, in the self-development sphere, to me, become what is lacking a lot of times, right? Like there's just so many conversations about getting our needs met from an external source versus like, how do I really take responsibility for meeting the needs that I am seeking another person to offer me and what is lacking when we don't do that for ourselves. So I just, I feel like there's so much value in this episode for everyone. Yeah. Oh, I know. I did. I like can't even say enough, enough good things. So if you are ready to take some personal responsibility Start turning some of the things that you have thought about relationships, relationship dynamics, healing um, on your on their head a little bit. I would say that yeah. this is the episode for you. So I, I think I think you'll enjoy it if that's if that's where you're going. Then buckle up. <laughs> um, but before yeah. we get into it, a couple of quick reminders. Right. So please remember to subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you listen most as well as give us a five-star rating and review. It really supports the podcast and reaching more people because, you know, algorithms. Also, share this episode with a friend if it resonates because word of mouth is still the best way to discover something new, in my opinion. If you haven't yet, also check out the details of our upcoming week-long intensive retreat through either of our bio links or through my website, VanessaBennett.com. It's the first week of January. It's going to be in Carefree, Arizona again um, at this amazing resort, Savannah, and seats are limited. It sold out last year, so definitely don't sleep on this one. Okay, Mm. let's get into our conversation with Quentin. So excited.
Well, Quentin, we are so excited to have this opportunity to sit down with you. I feel like you are one of those social media accounts. And this is where it's nice that people are sort of offering you reels to see of people that you might not find otherwise, because I feel like one of your reels came up and I was like, oh my gosh, this guy's just really intelligent. (laughs) And I started following your content a little bit. And I just find that you have this really beautiful way of offering these little clips that give so much insight. There's just like so much depth in a really mm. quick little snippet. So well done on that. I feel like you do that very well. Thank you. Um, but I'd love to hear a little bit about how you came into doing the work that you're doing. If you would just tell us a little about you and, and what you do. Yeah, Your origin ab- story. Yeah, absolutely. So like people see that funny side of me, which is which is one side of it, but my story, it's quite, quite dark. So I really mm. want people to understand, yeah, I, my, my job when I was starting to do this work and then helping, uh, people on their journey, especially with Instagram and the reels was okay. Like, uh, write deep, but act light. But like, mm. if we look at my past, my past was very dark. I always name it like the despair of being me, which is a big, big word. Uh, but this is how I felt really in my childhood. So I was born in feeling that this, the world was really unsafe. So mm. my mom was having a lot of depression and I was formed into a womb, uh, where she was, uh, in this state. So as we know, the baby is going to absorb that. We absorb the emotion of the mom or even kind of trauma or generational trauma that are carved in the cells. So very, very early when I started to be able to think and when my logic was developed, I was able to think like, okay, why so much anger around me? Why so much pain? Mm -hmm. So it was really like, like I was raised, like there were, there were really good moments and people would look at me and say, oh, you are not lacking anything. Mm -hmm. Uh, I had a, a grandmother that worked until she was, I think, 75 years old. So she was very famous. So I was born in New Caledonia, which is a little French island in the Pacific. And so she was a CEO of a business. So I was not lacking anything when I was growing up. So travels and all, all this thing. But because I believe the my early childhood surrounding was quite unsafe, mm-hmm. then school was unsafe because I was bullied and there were a lot of trauma around here. So the external environment was unsafe. So my internal state was unsafe. So it became unsafe to be me. And so like everyone, I start to build coping mechanism. So people pleasing, playing low, hiding my emotion or bursting into tantrum, um, all of that to get the attention that I felt was lacking, but not the attention because people were around around me. But it's funny because I was talking about that to a client that say like, I was very connected, but I had, I was surrounded by people who were disconnected from themselves. Mm. And so to connect with them, I had to disconnect from myself, to connect with the disconnection from others. And that's why I believe a lot of people uh, have to do, not realizing that's what we do, because we are in a world of people that are wounded, traumatized, and then we are in a world of compensation. And then babies arrive, they have so much wisdom, they have so much light, they are almost untouched with all this, and then we absorb everything. Mm. So that was basically me. And then we're going to probably talk about this topic today. I developed 
not only and i don't i don't like to use too much labels like cptsd and ocd and all that because this is the thing I'm trying to give to my clients is that when they come and they give me a list of, yeah, I've been diagnosed this, 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 that, I'm like, at what age? And they're all mm. like, yeah, like I was diagnosed with anxiety at six mm. what, or, or seven or eight. And then you're like, wow. So from early childhood, mm -hmm. you probably didn't have anxiety. You were just hypersensitive or, or a child, which is sensitive. And then you are labeled with all of that. So that's become attached to your identity. So mm -hmm. now we go out there, we meet professional that say, yeah, you have this and that. The issue is that it's almost become an excuse to not change because it's attached to your identity at a very young age. So for me, yes. it was, you are different, you are weak, uh, you are hypersensitive, you have depression like your mom. And so when your ego is formed really early, especially between one and five, one to seven, one to 13, and you absorb of that, that become your identity. Mm -hmm. And so when client come, I'm like, okay, we're gonna disidentify you with all these labels. So that was my job as well. It was to look at everything I was self-diagnosed myself with and then start to peel that. Mm -hmm. To realize, okay, I had that, but now I'm trying to move away. But if I keep the same language, I will stay the same. And so, also developing a lot of narcissistic tendencies, which we're probably okay. going to talk about today and not realizing I was doing it because for mm. me being around a father that was really angry, a mother that was depressed and stuff that become my norm. My ego was like, okay, that must be love because mm -hmm. for the ego loves become familiar and familiar is safe. And so I was constantly recreating that for myself. I will constantly perceive where can I be hurt? When am I going to be attacked? When I can be depressed? And so we move into life having all those conscious desire of, oh, I want to be happy. I want that romantic relationship that is healthy and stuff. But deep down, we have a unhealthy or disconnected relationship with ourselves. And then we're going to attract a reflection of that. So that's quite heavy, but that was where I start to come from. So then... Mm -hmm. And that was depression, narcissistic tendency. It was all between 21 and 27. So it was a, mm -hmm. a whole lot of my life. And then when I start to absorb and demystify that and understand everything that was underlying, I was like, okay, how can I deliver that with profound knowledge or trying to really teach people and reach people, but at the same time being like light about it. And so that the real was the perfect thing to do that. So people will be like, okay, I feel connected. I feel understood and I can have a little bit of love. But then when I read the caption, I can really uh, understand myself. So that was really mm -hmm. my, my goal with this. Does mm -hmm. I answer your, the, the first question? Oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> you just said something that was so powerful. I had to write it down because um, I've never heard anyone describe it this way. But you were saying... I was so connected within that um, in a world full of people who are disconnected from themselves, yeah. I had to disconnect from myself to be in connection with others. And I yeah. think, you know, something that I see so often in society is we're sort of 
pathologizing a lot of men who have mm-hmm. been really conditioned from my perspective to disconnect from themselves because you mm-hmm. can't selectively numb and we teach men that they don't get to fully feel their feelings in our society. Um, and we're sort of slapping a narcissistic label on these Mm. men. Um, I love that you speak in terms of narcissistic tendencies, because I think so often we are not talking about clinical narcissism when we're talking about Mm -hmm. people and that people can't sort of selectively feel empathy if they're a true narcissist. But I would love if you would say a little bit more about that in terms of your experience with how that shows up for men, especially. Absolutely. Because that's the thing when we don't we don't have a lot of awareness and then we would jump on Instagram or social media. And before that's the thing, we were in one extreme where we didn't have a lot of knowledge. So if we wanted to self-develop or understand about ourselves, we would go to psychologists or psychiatrists or therapists. And we had a few books, but that's it. Now with Instagram, we go on the other way of the spectrum. We have so mm-hmm. much content that people mm-hmm. start to, ah, okay, my partner was a, was controlling and He was avoidant, so he must be a narcissist. Mm -hmm. Like attachment Mm -hmm. style, I want people to understand because I received so much message like my my partner is is avoidant, so he must be a narcissist. He has nothing to do. I was disorganized with my interests and I I had narcissistic tendencies. So it has nothing to do with an attachment style. So Mm -hmm. I really want people to understand that. We have a lot of misconception around narcissists. Of course, there is the end of the spectrum where people say they cannot change. Mm-hmm. I don't know about this one. I had a lot of narcissistic tendencies, but I was not at the end of the spectrum. So I can only mm-hmm. speak today through what I know and what I help people with. And so many people with narcissistic tendencies are highly traumatized people mm-hmm. whose ego has assimilated love with hurt, with revenge, with resentment, with shame, with despair. And so for any human beings, if your basic needs were not met, so to be seen, to be heard, to be loved, to be acknowledged, to be respected, our ego start to assimilate what's familiar, what's around us with love. And so mm-hmm. that's become our subconscious need. So I talk a lot about our conscious desire or basic needs as a human being, and then we have the subconscious needs. And we don't realize that's what is ruling our life. And so for people with narcissistic tendencies, not only their needs were not met, but their essence as a child were absolutely physically and emotionally, and I'm going to use big words again, destroyed, manipulated, and gaslighted. Gaslighting, parent gaslighting is a real, real thing. It's really important to know because we think it was a way of teaching a lot of things like teaching children how to be independent and that. Now there is a lot of parenting gaslighting. So destruction, manipulation, humiliation, and despair became their way to understand love. So that's their love language, which is really a trauma language to understand. So if we look at people with narcissistic tendencies, they will lie, they will pretend, they will manipulate. Others, the same way they have been humiliated, groomed, and gaslighted to subconsciously, and this is a big thing, recreate and re-experience the familiarity of their childhood surrounding. Mm -hmm. Because internally, they are trapped in that prison of internal sufferings and the absolute rejections that fell in their childhood. So being rejected become an addiction because we can become addicted to 
any kind of emotion, not only to pleasure, but also to pain. So right. that inner child inside of them. And when I teaching people of that, it's really connected. So my inner child was saying, if they understand the despair I feel by having them feeling it, I won't feel so alone. I won't mm. feel so shameful. And so the ego says rejection, humiliation, despair. It's what's familiar. It's what I've known the most. It's what I've recorded the most. So that's safe. So I want more of it. So I'm going to do that to others to re-experience what I call the safety of rejecting and shaming others, which is really a self-rejection. Mm-hmm. So because as you know, narcissistic tendencies are highly toxic, hurtful, and abusive. So the result is now the people who are like that are being rejected by the world. Mm-hmm. So for people with these tendencies, they reject any chance, chance of connection with themselves and others and the same way they felt rejected in the past. So it's, I was being hurt instead of being loved. So love cannot be felt if no hurt is done. So it's again, connecting through disconnection. It's loving through hurting. And so I want to understand like, people with narcissistic tendency, it's not only that bad guy that we have to go on a war with and all this. Of course, I don't want you to stay with someone with narcissistic tendencies. Like probably a lot of my ex's partner in the past would say like, yeah, Quentin was a narcissist. I was able to change. So I never wanted this to become my identity and my awakening through that was that to feel all the deep shame inside of me to awaken it. And I felt that with my partner at the moment, when I saw I was becoming my father to my stepdaughter. And that was that mm. click for me. I'm like, no, I don't want to pass down to her. So I, that it was that push. It was that click really like I need to change now. So it's quite heavy, but I want people to understand the reality of narcissistic tendencies. And again, we all had maybe a couple of narcissistic tendencies or at least Mm -hmm. narcissistic behaviors in our lives. Yes. Yeah. I think just to follow up on that real quickly. um, So then what becomes the path to, is it developing boundaries with this person in your life? Like I hear a lot of an invitation towards compassion and an understanding of this Mm -hmm. is where these tendencies come from. Um, But like, if we're speaking about like who you were in your younger years or your mm-hmm. former self, um, how would you suggest people meet that person in their life that they're identifying this is what's happening for this person? Yeah, it's, it is, it is really, really challenging for someone to deal with a narcissist, with people with narcissistic tendencies because you can't really change them if they don't want to. The only thing you can right. do is one, protect yourself. And two, going to heal yourself because oftentimes people who attract people with narcissistic tendencies are attracting a reflection of their past. So if you were surrounded Mm -hmm. by someone with narcissistic tendencies in your childhood, you will attract that in your present to reflect back the unhealed wound you have from the past. Mm -hmm. this is where somatic work is so important and also um, energetic work that I do with cracking open the programming from the language of the child, because in the past there were an energy stored in you mm-hmm. basically. And 
that energy I call the victim energy, but you were a victim of abuse. And that victim energy inside of you is like a magnet. So it keep attracting, it keep creating an energy field around you and you will attract people that respond to who was created that for you. So that's why we see a lot of empath and we can talk about this because again, there's a lot of things around empath that we don't really understand, I believe. Mm -hmm. A lot of empath will attract narcissistic people because mm -hmm. a lot of empath are actually victims with mm -hmm. big victim of trauma. Mm -hmm. And so we will, you will keep seeing aggressor coming into your life until you heal that. And I see that with a lot of women that I work, when we crack that and we free the energy that was stored when they were hurt in the past, they either don't attract aggressor anymore or know people with narcissistic tendencies, or they can recognize that really quick and they're like, uh -uh, I'm not doing this. And they succeed at what I call the integration opportunity is when mm -hmm. you have something that come and when you get to choose what you couldn't choose before because you were too scared or too traumatized. Now you are like, I set boundaries. I choose myself. So people with these tendencies, they have to, at some point, awake mm -hmm. through the pain. And it's yes. not your job to do that. Oftentimes, for me, it was the breakup that awakened me. Mm -hmm. So the best thing you can do with these people is actually leaving them and hoping that the pain are going to awake them. Because with these tendencies, to some degree, we need to reach rock bottom and then be like, oh, I don't want that. Mm -hmm. And realize, realize, yeah, it's, it's you. So you are the common denominator. You need to change. I talk a lot about how, so I, I do a lot of work around codependency and the way that I talk yeah. about codependent behaviors or codependent personalities is really that it's kind of the opposite side of the same coin of narcissism because they're yeah. very attracted to each other, mostly because from a personality structure, they're both other oriented, right? Like mm. they find themselves outside of themselves because they have Absolutely. such a, such a lack of self internally. Right. And I would say, and Danae, you were actually the first person that really turned me on to this years and years ago when I was kind of going through a struggle, uh, breakup with somebody who had substance abuse issues. And, and mm. I remember Danae, you saying to me that somebody who's in the active throes of an addiction can, is very, it's self-centered, right? It can be very narcissistic when you're in that space, which again, if we're talking about codependence and narcissists or empaths and narcissists being very drawn to one another, you know, you might say too, even people struggling with substance in many ways, there's so many narcissistic traits that come out. But again, it's, we can offer it or look at it rather with compassion. It doesn't necessarily mm. mean that we have to quote unquote, put up with the bad behavior, but yeah. there's so much compassion that I have found in the understanding of me being on the flip side of that, which is the more codependent, highly empathic, uh, trauma-based, right? And then looking on the other side and saying, yeah. oh, it's also trauma-based and I need mm. to leave, which is what you said, mm. um, in hopes that they will find their way, but they might not. And I have to be okay with that too, right? It would be the same thing with somebody with addiction. I can't do that for them. They have to do that Absolutely. on their own if they so choose, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, really beautifully put. Mm. And that's why, yeah, like, like we were talking, like empath are people, empath are people who believe against their empath. Because mm -hmm. again, it's a label we can talk about here. We'll attract people that are more of an aggressor or dominant yes. energy. Uh, we see that a lot of time. 
for people who have attached their identity to the word empath, mm-hmm. most empaths are not empaths. Maybe we can say wounded empaths, which evolving into an integrated empath, so an empath that have healed her wounds or his wound. Mm-hmm. But like many people who label themselves empath are highly traumatized people, again, whose ego has assimilated love with feeling pain from absorbing a certain level of chaos around them when they were children. Right. And so before the logic is formed, if a child feels bad, they believe they are bad. If we have to remember that if a child feels bad, they believe they are bad, especially if they have no one around them to say, no, it's not your fault or you are, it's not, you are not wrong or anything. So when we have that, then you get emotionally punished. You know, like when parents say, you make dad angry or it's your fault if mom is sad or I'm ashamed of you because you crack a tantrum in the, in the shop or something. Now you have a child that feel really strongly but don't have people around to help with their emotion, they start to believe it's their fault for people around them to suffer or be emotional. And they now believe they are doing something wrong if they don't hyperfeel for others, if they don't take people suffering on their shoulders, which quickly result with their abandonment or the avoidance of their own feeling and emotion to meet other people need to feel loved. Mm-hmm. So their nervous system became highly dysregulated and hypersensitive to others. So I like to call that emotional hypervigilance mm-hmm. when I become hypervigilant to everyone around me. So most actually don't feel for others in the echo of other sufferings, which is perceived through our mirror neurons. They feel their own trapped pain. They feel their own unprocessed hurt from the past. They had no choice but to compress from external repression, the repression from their caregivers. So they oftentimes have been shamed or gaslighted or punished again. So as they are quickly learned to abandon their own emotion on the side, because it was too overwhelming too soon. And a good way to bypass and keep hiding behind the empath identity is to believe you are feeling for others because mm-hmm. you are unconsciously avoiding the death of your own pain. So you don't have to look at yourself. But by feeling for others, because you think it's your responsibility, you keep subconsciously punishing yourself the way you felt punished in your childhood. And so a lot of people who label themselves empaths, they become toxic, positive, fixers, saviors to repress that deep sense of sadness, shame and abandonment. The body and it creates hypersensitivity which we believe we are in part because the body holds on to so much pressure and tamed energy that is like, oh, I feel for others. No, you feel for yourself, actually. And so some of the adaptation is when we go into high spectrum is to try to free others from their sufferings. But what we are trying to do is unconsciously liberate ourselves from our sufferings. Mm. And so this is why often we mistake kindness with people pleasing. Because true kind people, they don't leave themselves behind, which is what we do when we people please. Mm-hmm. But because empaths are highly valued for giving from their hearts, they don't realize how hurt their heart is. Excuse my, my, my pronunciation with my French accent is here, but like they don't realize how hurt their heart is. So mm-hmm. they continue to overgive, overshare, overfear 
to avoid feeling abandoned, which is actually fulfilling the very things they are trying to avoid, self-abandonment. Mm. So giving a bit, again, like it's beautiful to see when you have uh, someone that label empath, we can say wounded empath, that become an integrated empath. empath. Because now she's choosing herself or he's choosing himself. And so this is the best way because you can only demonstrate real empathy to others if you understand the depth of your own empathy towards yourself. And that comes with the acceptance of everything that happened in your past without any shame and freeing yourself from all the emotion. And then like real empathy, real compassion, real kindness can come from this. Well, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on something I've heard people speak to in terms of empaths from a more, I guess, a metaphysical perspective is that in the same way that all of us have intuition, Mm -hmm. but not everyone is an intuitive, meaning Mm -hmm. that they can sort of intuit like, you know, things that are happening. I mean, we might all have those capabilities, but not everybody is like tuned in the way that someone who what they do is an intuitive, right? Um, that I have heard people speak to, you know, people are often calling codependency, um, being an empath, right. Mm-hmm. Which I, I feel like is what I hear you speaking to a little bit, that there's a little bit of a conflicted definition there and that that's not actually what it is to be a quote empath. That might mm-hmm. be you in sort of like a wounded space of empathy where you are overemphasizing and your nervous system is picking up on things based on a trauma response, but yeah. I think that can sometimes feel a little bit different to me than the energy of like, I'm picking up on energy in a room, not necessarily from a fixing space, yeah. but from a space of me feeling into the mm. energy of others. Do you know what I mean? Or what I'm asking? I oh, guess? Absolutely. Absolutely. And this is the thing where when we remove ourselves from all the labels and we start to hear, then definitely we can feel the vibration in the room. We can especially feel uh, before healing, we feel what we have inside, but yeah, intu- the intuition becomes extremely powerful when we hear. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, oftentimes people confound or mistake intuition with the voice of their ego. Because mm-hmm. the intuition is when you really feel calm, congruent, and it's something that hit the spot like boom. It's like mm-hmm. a thought that comes right. But like, Trauma voice will be like when we feel anxious, when if, for example, you are in a, you are dating and you feel the, the person is unhealthy, that might be an intuition, but it's more an instinct of protection, which is a bit different from the intuition. Mm-hmm. Uh, but oftentimes, yeah, like we really, really confound the projection of our wounds with an intuition until we heal. And when we start mm-hmm. really healing, we rediscover the power of our intuition. Does that answer your question a bit? Yeah. I think yeah. so you're you're saying the distinction is more around if it's coming from a space of our wounds or a space yeah. where we've integrated absolutely some of that and we're able to tune into ourselves in a different yeah. way. Yeah, sense. and my absolutely. and my experience too personally struggling with this, but also with clients as well, is um you know, your internal wounding, kind of what you're saying, when it's coming from the wounded space, it's like those of us who grew up where in order to protect ourselves, we had to learn to become highly attuned to the caregivers around us, right? And so you get that heightened spidey sense after years and years and years of practice. Now, here's the thing. Mm -hmm. It can also be a superpower, right? I always kind of jokingly will say to clients, 
I love the fact that I can go into a room and be like, oh, I don't like that person. There's something about them. I'm going to stay away. (laughs) I'm not even going to question it. Right. I love that I have that. But I've done a lot of work around, to your point, where is it empathy? Where does it cross the line into, I had a client call it me-pathy once, and I was like, that's mm-hmm. so spot on, right? And kind of where's that border? And and once you've done a lot of that healing work around where do I end, where do I begin, where is it trauma versus, you know, then you can start to say it is a superpower and I can use it as such Absolutely. versus it controlling I- me, I'm more in control of it. Absolutely. And you can test that. You can set your intuition. You go into the room, you feel not dragged or repelled by someone, and then you go and talk to them. Mm-hmm. And then when you talk to them, sometimes what I've realized it will me, sometimes I'm like, oh, I don't like that person. So I'm consciously going to go and talk to that person, discover the person and see actually, was I correct with my intuition. That's why you also can build your intuition and improve mm-hmm. connecting with it. Was I congruent with it? Or was actually my trauma vibrating maybe from their trauma and that created mm-hmm. a repair. So actually not liking that person was mirroring how I don't like some part of me still. Because that's yes. what happened also in real, in romantic relationship. It's like, Everything that you dislike or is triggered by your partner is an opportunity to look at you and find a part of you that you still judge, shame, or not accept. Mm-hmm. And so that doesn't mean you should be like, oh, okay, I'm going to work and stay in an abusive relationship. No. If it's an abusing relationship, you notice that, you remove yourself, and then you work to crack your programmings or find out in the past what you still don't um, love about you. Right. Right. Yeah. You speak a little bit about your relationship, you know, this idea of transmuting your trauma, right? I love that, Mm. that word that transmuting that you've used. Yeah. Um, Will you speak a little bit about that with your personal partnership, if you're comfortable? Yeah. So there's a lot here, but when I meet with my partner, we were highly, highly traumatized. We attract each other from a trauma bond. And so the journey that is very challenging and very rewarding at the same time was to move from trauma bond relationship to more secure relationship. And so we both had to understand our wound through the reflection of one another. So she was uh, more of the avoidant. I was more of the disorganized with anxious. And we had to break up three times. Uh, the third time, this is where I really spent completely six months on working, working deep on myself, met a couple of mentors that really showed me what I needed to see. Um, and so when we got back, we were very, very aware of our programming, how they trigger each other, how uh, they were reflecting back also aspect of one another. And this mm-hmm. is how we keep doing the work is very, very much about owning everything that comes, owning it. And mm-hmm. then working through it, uh, taking the space. Um, there is a lot and a lot of in there that we could talk about, but basically we worked, yeah, we worked a lot on, on, on trauma because we, what we realized is that she attracted when we were toxic, she attracted a reflection of her mom that we're controlling. Uh, she felt abandoned with, and me, I attracted a reflection 
of my mom that was uh, very highly sensitive and uh, trying to save me. And Jenna was trying to save my mom. And we were, we had that dynamic. My partner mm -hmm. was trying to save me, uh, which were actually reinforcing my wound because the more she was trying to save, the more I was, I was getting reluctant and re repelled and repelling her. And with that disorganized attachment style, especially like one day anxious, one day avoidant. So it was that push pull couldn't mm -hmm. work. So we had to understand a lot of that. And we also had to, to understand that, like that we were mistaking also, you know, acceptance with self-abandonment and resignation. It's like, mm. oh no, I need to accept how I am. I need to accept my partner or she is, it is what it is. The thing is like, if you accept people that keep aband abandoning you, for example, you accept your own self-abandonment if you, if you stay around, mm. yeah. if that makes sense. So that's why I talk a lot about mistaking acceptance because I couldn't accept her if I didn't accept the part of me that were not accepted in my childhood. And for her, it was the mm -hmm. same. Did that make sense? Yeah, I think what you're saying is so interesting and something that I feel like I've been grappling with a lot with clients and in the sphere of dating. And I'm, I'm curious to ask you some more about that. But I think what's challenging for me is it feels like there's almost always, you know, you hear a lot of people say, that it's not true that you need to love yourself before you can love someone else. And I mm. agree with that to an extent. And I also think that there is a lot of an ability to regulate our own nervous system that if we don't have as the baseline, learning how yeah. to do that for ourselves, mm. we will just sort of continue these trauma bonds that you're talking about and Absolutely. projecting pain on one another. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And this is why... I, I say like, this is a quote that I say a lot is like, there's a lot of work you can do on your own mm. and having this base to be able to regulate when you enter in a relationship. And there is some work that you can only do in a relationship because there is some triggers and some wounds mm -hmm. that can only be triggered and therefore also be healed in a relationship. Because if your wounds have been created with caregivers around, they will also be healed with a safe partner. So this right. is why you become same for you. The energy of that is more likely to attract someone who are safe with themselves. Now you can be safe with one another. It's like when I talk, I take men, I talk with men, I say, you got to commit to yourself. If a man is not committed to himself, he cannot commit to a woman. It mm -hmm. cannot. He can only commit to others, to a family, to, to his children, to his partner, to the degree he's committed to killing himself, slaying his demon, and becoming a better human being. Self-commitment, then go outside, and this is devotion. Self-commitment becomes the devotion to outside world, to your purpose, to your work, to, to the people you love. Mm. And so, yeah, talk, talk, talking about dating, you know, that's why there is a lot of people that can't, that they really say like, oh, I have high standards. So now if I have high standards, I'm not going to attract anyone. Oh, I'm going to, but high standard is almost like, it's really, there's a lot of things to unpack if you want to talk about this. But for me, a lot of people that come to me and say, I have high standards, oftentimes they have unresolved password and low self-worth. Mm -hmm. so it's a compensation, low, high. Mm 
Yeah. So mm. would you like to would you like me to to yeah, elaborate please. a bit about that? Yeah. Okay. So so for people that are hearing that, there is nothing wrong with the word high standards. But from what place are you coming from? Because for me, high standards has become a misnomer, misnomer for high self worth. High self worth is not built from you know doing more and changing our personalities to fit into something. That's the illusion from the ego that the society is telling you to have all of these high standards and you become someone. Mm-hmm. No, there, there is, of course, there is a level of self-worth that definitely can be attached to how much you contribute to others in the world, to our partner, to our family. But high self-worth come when you heal and when you peel, when you diffuse the layers of your past wounds mm-hmm. and really unbecome what you had to become to protect yourself. Mm. That has for, that has caused you to forget that you are worthy as a birthright. So, do you have a set of values, virtues, and non-negotiable that helps you strive in your life, mm-hmm. or are you hiding behind the idea of having high standards because you are scared to attract someone who can hurt you again, so they don't match the expectation you have set? Right. I give you an example of a client. She, she come to me and say, I have high standards and no one can meet them. Where are all the real men? They are all narcissists. <laughs> and I say, you don't have high standards. You have high level of fears. <laughs> what are they? <laughs> and then, oh, we see the list here. So I'm, because I know a lot of women that are awakened or who are healing, they are attracting people who match their energy or they are removing themselves for people who are not matching. So <laughs> what I was telling her is that you are actually attracting real men that matches the reality of your fear and not the high standards you have set. So you can choose to adopt any high standards and it's a big trend at the moment. I see a lot of, uh, especially um, recovering narcissistic coach. They say like, have high standards. Well, you can adopt high, all high standards if you don't dissolve at the core what we talked about, what causes you to keep dating narcissistic or dangerous or low standard people who hurt you and disappoint you, which actually reflect back the people who have hurt you in the past, you will keep attracting people that never meet your standards because your standards are not running the show, your fear are, and it's the fear of being hurt. Mm -hmm. So mentally we have high standards, but internally there is a feeling of low self-worth. And so, Many people use high standards as an excuse for high demand and expectation to cover unmet needs. The higher the unmet needs, the higher the unhealthy expectation. It's okay to expect things, but you cannot expect others to give you what you don't give to yourself. Of course, like when, when my partner, what I realized is that sometime my partner could love part of me that I was need not loving. Mm-hmm. And so that's beautiful when we say that, but I couldn't see that because I know I was not loving this part of me. So my partner would love part of me. I didn't love, but I didn't appreciate that because I didn't love that about me. Yeah. So to finish with this, it's really, it's really come to how you treat yourself when no one is around. It's not mm-hmm. about high standards because being seen, loved, respected, accepted is not high standards. It's basic needs that we all deserve. <laughs> But again, people ask others to respect them, but oftentimes from a place of self-disrespect. Like, it's like, I'm stupid, but make me feel smart. I'm not lovable, but you must love me. 
So then they want to be accepted from a place of self-rejection. I hate myself, but you have to accept me. And that was mm -hmm. me most of my life. Like I was deeply desperate. I don't like me, but please love me. So I can, I can feel a sense of relief. So when I see people that say I have high standards, but they keep attracting people who demonstrate low respect, low commitment, low availability, something is not working here. There is internal mm -hmm. vibration that needs to be shifted. So you stop attracting what you don't want and you start attracting what you want. Oof. I know. There is a lot, there is a lot here. <laughs> I mean, just so potent, Chris. Right. I feel like you put words to something I've been feeling so strongly in the ether mm. that I don't feel like I've heard someone articulate in the way that you just so beautifully did. I feel like we have become obsessed with my needs aren't getting met and this is yeah. what I need relationship from some external source. And I love that you said, you know, the higher the unmet needs to me, what I'm feeling intuitively mm -hmm. is a lot of like, that speaks to how little you feel about yourself a lot of times. Absolutely. And you have the ability to do those things for yourself when there are constantly um, needs that you have to be met by some external source. I think that's just, oof, you're so, thank um, you for that. Absolutely. I have my, one of my, my mentor that said beautifully, he says, people are playing the game of external compensation mm. while the real game is the one of internal evolution. Mm. And we can see, especially with, even in the, the self-development or the healing world, it's like people will say, you deserve someone that meets your needs. Absolutely. Are you meeting your needs? And then we find out where you are not. Why are you right. not meeting your needs? Because you have trapped emotions that prevent you from seeing the beauty of who you are from the beginning. So it's like, I think there is an expression that say, uh, to rediscover who you are before the world told you who you should be. Mm -hmm. And so that's the limiting belief. That's the programming. And that's why I teach those programming from the language of the child, because we all have this programming, you know, I am not enough perfectionism, like catastrophizing. I'm not important. I am afraid of failure and stuff, but that's already programming our pattern from the language of the adult. We need to understand at the level of the child that has created or perceived what he believes is true about him Yes. from trauma or from perceptions. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I'm... I'm laughing kind of internally because I'm thinking about how when I met my my current partner, before I met him, I remember saying, uh, that's it. I'm not dating anybody who hasn't done X, Y, and Z. I remember going to my mom yeah. being like, I swear to God, I'm only dating therapists from now on. And her being like, I think you might be making your pool a little too small. But I did. And that's who I met. But the funny thing is, I was like, ha ha, see. But really, it feels like the universe was like, ha ha, see, he's still going to trigger the shit out of you because you still Absolutely. have a lot of work to do. Oh, sure. Absolutely. We'll give you a therapist. But trust me when I tell you, it's still going to be a lot of fucking work. And I swear her, you oh, say absolutely. it just made me like laugh because it was like the universe just totally called me out in my bullshit and was like, okay, cool. Here's, here's the therapist. <laughs> yeah, we, we, absolutely. And we, we can also go into that almost like a bit of cockiness from the ego. Like I'm all healed. I've done all the work. So now the romantic relationship, I'm going to nail it. Yeah. It's going to be perfect. Sure. It's like. <laughs> 
it's like me when I did a bit of work and I was like, I look, I look above and whatever you believed in, you life, the universe, God, for me is the universe. And I look and I'm like, I'm good now. Bring it. <laughs> <laughs> then at, at that moment, COVID happened. I was blocked six months in my home. My next partner broke up with me and all the emotion, all the abandonment, all of that brought it. So it listened. It said, Oh, you're ready. Okay. I'm going okay. to give you that. And <laughs> then I was accepted. like, okay. <laughs> After six months, I was like absolutely depleted, like of all energy. I thought I was going crazy. And by the way, I want people to understand a lot of people. This is what we have done. I believe I don't like to use wrong, but a big mistake. A lot of people think they are going crazy when they are going through an awakening. And then we're going to label that. So then we go to our doctor or whatever. They say, you have anxiety, you have depression. Here's a pill. And then they, and then they, here's a pill to actually repress because depression is the body trying to release the pressure, depression. So depress. It's the body trying to release all the accumulated, accumulated pain and pressure that you have to numb. Now the body cannot hold on, so it depresses, it excels. And what we're going to do, we're going to see someone that's going to give a pill to repress again. Yep. So, like, there's a lot, there's a lot to talk about here, but I think yeah. it's already pretty heavy. We'll do a part two on that one because Tanae and I could we'll go on about one. that one yeah. for a while. Absolutely. Yeah. But I think you're so right. We have sort of, you know, societally decided that we shouldn't feel discomfort and we really stunted a lot of our initiatory processes or our ability to differentiate or you know, yeah. what are very normal human evolutionary things to do because we shouldn't feel the discomfort of how we're growing and changing. Absolutely. Right. And also too, you know, today we've talked about this, like it, it's that, that thing about, uh, this is a normal reaction to an abnormal situation, right. Or an abnormal environment and right to society, to how we're living right now, disconnected from each other, disconnected from ourselves, right. Disconnected from our earth and from, and so what happens, increase anxiety, depression, all of these things, but we can't rather than accept that it is actually very normal for many of us to be experiencing this because of what's happening. Let's just repress mm. it for further right yeah, yeah. it's so mm. it's either repressing or we move into spiritual bypassing which is yes. really that that moving into again if you want to talk about this is that weird acceptance that we confront acceptance with self-abandonment and resignation mm. and there's a lot of things out there at the moment um especially with spiritual bypassing and and a lot of content that actually bypass the real thing. Mm -hmm. Because all these labels, it's also a form of bypass because people will be like, oh, I am, I am disorganized, I am this, I am that. So now other people need to accept me from that. No, the labels are supposed to say, oh, now I, I, I know what I am. I need to diffuse that. It's mm -hmm. not another excuse. So do you want to talk a bit about that? That uh, acceptance that we confront acceptance and self with self abandonment and resignation. Sure. Yeah. yeah, let's do it. I mean, I, it, what you're what yeah. you're bringing up is I was thinking about how Danae and I have talked about how Jung Jung spoke a lot about inferior function, right? And when he mm. talked about it, it was more from a sense of like not to shame you, but to say these are your inferior functions. Now, how can you 
work to increase your capacity in those areas, right? And it just feels similar. It's like, it's not to say, oh, this is my inferior function, so it is what it is. Mm. It's more to say, oh, okay, that's great knowledge and understanding for me now to be able to turn towards that and put effort and light and energy towards my quote unquote inferior function so that I can maybe, yeah. you know, work through it or, or increase the capacity. So absolutely. But, but yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah. So, you know, we, we say like at the moment there is a big trend of people say it's because of the spiritual ego that we spiritual bypass and stuff. No, it's just this, the same ego trying to be spiritual because mm -hmm. the ego adapts. The more we become intelligent, the more the ego adapts. So, I see a lot of people, of course, there's people that find this knowledge and hear, but when we come from a deep place of apathy, despair, resignation, and we start to be labeled with all these labels and we start to say, oh, it is what it is, just let it go. This is not acceptance. This is apathy and powerlessness. When we say that we are powerless, for example, I don't count how many people come to me and say, Oh, I've tried everything, but nothing works. I just have to accept all oh, my husband is and keep changing me. So that's not mm. acceptance. That's resignation. Mm. I actually don't want you to accept yourself when you feel like your life is not fulfilling and you say, I am what I am and you won't change because that steps you up for immense regrets. Or you, you will stay in an abusive relationship mm. or you need to accept your partner. No, don't accept a partner that is abusive with you. I want you to accept the fact that what you thought was acceptance was apathy and resignation in disguise. Because this is what happened with before all Instagram and all this content. Before there were a few books and a few gurus that would write these beautiful mantras or things like that. And then we read that book and we'll be like, I got it. And now we go out there and we say, life happened exactly as it should. It is what it is. Forgive your abuser. Be present. But tell that to someone who is highly traumatized. You know, you are exactly where you are supposed to be. Tell that to someone who is in an abusive relationship. I tell them, you are where you are supposed to be to reveal what you are not supposed to stay. That's mm -hmm. more like it. But with that fake notion of acceptance, we haven't done anything internally. You know, like <laughs> then life happened exactly as it should. You're it almost become like your past hurt will keep happening as it should. And the you that, that say just be present will keep being present with trauma and past conditioning. Because here's the thing with people that say it is what it is or just accept it. In, externally, they say that, but internally, they say it is what it is. I'm not important. Mm. It is what it is. I'm the problem anyway. It is what it is. I'm garbage. It is what it is. I'm not valuable or they will never love me. So there is a difference between, you know, it is what it is and staying where you are, believing you cannot change. That's apathy and saying it is what it is. And I'm totally committed to change and to empower mm -hmm. myself. And so true acceptance come from you breaking energetically and somatically from your sufferings. So, and this is really important. So you can reclaim and welcome back the part of you, you thought you should have to hide and stay deeply ashamed about. The part of you, you thought would never ever be accepted by others because at least one person in your childhood tell you that you were wrong. 
And so in an NLP relationship, acceptance says, so when someone starts to want to remove itself from an NLP relationship, acceptance says, this partner isn't going to change and heal for themselves and for the relationship. I accept that and I'm totally committed to choose myself, leave the relationship and work on my past and what have caused me to attract someone who looked like the caregiver I was lacking from the most or the caregiver that hurt me the most. Because mm -hmm. here the mirror again, we are in Halloween, so I will say this. You will keep bringing the ghost of your past into a present because the energy of your trauma keeps haunting you. Mm -hmm. So without the metaphor, it's like you keep bringing the people you have unfinished business with in different bodies. Because if you don't change internally, nothing changes externally. And then what you are really accepting is the sense of unworthiness and inadequacy that mm. was created in early childhood. That is actually the real thing causing you to not accept who you are, which yeah. can bring, which keep bringing in people you don't feel accepted by. So again, it's a reflection again, right? Mm. So in a relationship, of course, there is abuse, but it's not your partner that hurts you primarily. It's really the you who stay not only in an healthy relationship, but with the hurtful relationship you have with yourself and you keep hurting you. And so this is why I help people with when people come to me, I need to save my relationship with my husband, with my wife, with whoever. It's like, where are we going to heal the connection you have with yourself? Because, because it's all start with that. You are the common denominator in anyone you attract. So if there is issue outside, let's dissolve the issue inside. Right. And so then the magic can happen, right? So I think what you just spoke to is what I love so much about your content. And, you know, mm -hmm. what I feel like the point of what I often hear you saying is that the opposite of apathy is change, but it's not changing the external force. That is, yeah. I, I feel like so often what I hear in relationship content is here's how you get your partner to change. And here's how you change the dynamic by yeah. focusing on this other person. And to me, that really still feels like codependency and, mm -hmm. you know, you have their buy-in great. But a lot of times what I experience with couples is you don't. And so uh, the change becomes, how do I change then if they're never willing to change? And absolutely. From what I hear you, say, you move or you do something different than what you've been doing. Absolutely. They heal mm -hmm. themselves, you heal you, and then you can co-create a relationship that is really healthy. Mm. And then we can support and love each other in the, in that more secure dynamic. Right. Or not. If that person doesn't, you know, ah, yeah. accept the challenge. Yeah, absolutely. That's why, that's why the show has to be made. Right. Who, who do you deserve? Cause who, who do you think you deserve is also a reflection of what you think you deserve. And oftentimes this is where there is the opposite. So people with a lot of unmet needs will create high expectation. So this is people that, that say like, oh, what do you want in a relationship? Yeah. I want, right. I want a, a person that say this, this, that do this, 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 and that. Okay. How many of these things are you doing with yourself? Mm -hmm. How many of these things are you already demonstrating in your life with others and stuff like that? Oh, okay. So let's start to meet the unmet needs that cause you to have unhealthy expectation because it's not unhealthy. The, ve the very thing that happened is that 
when you meet your needs, you realize that a lot of things that you wanted from others, now you don't want anymore because you give that to yourself. Watch someone entering your life and give you what you wanted them to give you. Mm -hmm. But now you're almost like, oh, I don't need them to give me that because you give that to yourself. And that's the energy. Yes. You give that to yourself. You empower yourself. That's with my partner. It was like that. She, when we brought each other back for the third time and she started doing things that she was like, oh, I thought about it. And I know that you like to be respected like this and like that, but she still had the old Quentin in her mind. And I want people you to, to understand when, and it's the hardest thing to do when we move from a toxic to a more secure relationship, the hardest thing to dissolve is your memory of mm -hmm. who your partner was before they do the work. Cause yeah. it's so easy to say like, Oh, I'm afraid because you were like this in the past. No, like, can you see me for who I am today and mm -hmm. not who I was, but that's the fear. Right. And it's, I can understand, like you have been toxic so now you are scared that I'm like this. Mm -hmm. So, but it's beautiful when my partner came and say like, wanted to meet these needs. And I was like, well, you don't need to do that anymore because mm. I'm doing that for myself. So now there is less pressure, more space for her to not be on guard of meeting Quentin's need, meeting Quentin's need, but just be her. And that's enough. Yeah. That's way more than enough. Heals my, my little, <laughs> heals my little avoidant soul to hear you say that <laughs> as the avoidant in my dynamic. Uh, well, Quincy, yeah. we could, we could talk to you forever. We might have to have you on for a part two, because I feel like there's 20 Absolutely. other topics I want to go down. Um, but we oh, want to respect your time so and, and we have a little bit of a lightning round that we ask all of our guests. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so Quentin, the first question is, who have been your greatest teachers, mentors, or people that have inspired you um, in your journey up to this point? Yeah, as far, as, absolutely. So in books, I would say Carl Jung was really inspiring for me. Uh, Joe Campbell, uh, and an actual mentor uh, a, that is really, really powerful, that can be really, that people can label a bit extreme some, sometime. It's a guy called Jaguar Hart. That has been really a mentor for me. You can find it on Instagram. And he had really helped me to understand at the deeper core of my suffering. So that's pretty much, yeah, the, the people that have really, really inspired me. Of course, there is a, also a person that is called David Laroche, which is a life coach in France. Um, so yeah, pretty much that. That's pretty much it. Awesome. And then what about this idea or concept of flow? So what is it that you find yourself doing when you kind of look around and you blink your eyes? It's been six hours, right? You didn't even realize, mm. like, what is that thing that you're doing when you're in flow? Um, especially when I write about, when I tune into what exactly what we are doing right now, when I write about things in a different perspective, mm -hmm. uh, instead of writing or making another video, uh, and saying the same thing that we hear with so much thing, it's like my flow come when I look and that become my strength, right? Because when I was a child, I was labeled different. Mm. Then I try to compensate by saying like, oh, you ask, you told me I'm different. I'm going to be different. But then I realized that my constant need to be different was actually rejecting myself because I was mm. never trying to fit with. So, so now I make my reaction, my 
different my power to serve the world. Uh, but yeah, my state of flow really come when we talk about all this topic and which can be, a, as you know, in this industry, we have to have a lot of psychological hygiene or because mm-hmm. um, we can get overwhelmed with, with you know, uh, healing, helping people here with all kind of trauma. But mm-hmm. really, yeah, my flow come when I do my work. And also when, which is completely different when I'm surrounded by animals, because the animals, when I was surrounded by uh, my parents that were constantly arguing, my cat was the being when I felt the most loved. Mm. So she would sit with me. I was like two or three years old. In the background, there would be the argument, but my cat would be there and just like a protection. And then it became, she died. Then I had another cat. A, a thing, a thing about me is like when I had suicidal t- uh, tendency, and it might be a bit weird for people, but I was living in Paris, little studio, and I was like in a weird place where I was like, I want to end my life, but I don't have the courage to do it, and it was a really, really deep space. But I was like, I was living with a cat, and when I was in my darkest hour, I didn't hurt myself because I was like. If I do that, my cat won't survive because I was not giving to other a lot of news. So people have were used to me not talking to them for one, two, three weeks, for example. Mm. My family was on the other side of the planet. I was in Paris, New Caledonia. So by the time they would realize something happened, like my cat wouldn't survive. And then also I thought about all of my family. There is a few people in my family that are so codependent that wouldn't survive if I don't survive. So mm. it's a bit dark, uh, but yeah, my connection with animal and nature is really profound. And I get that state of flow, which helped me to write as well. Ah, uh, that's so powerful. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, can you repeat that? What breaks your heart? What breaks my heart? Mm-hmm. Ah. What breaks my heart is when I don't succeed in being the perfect stepfather that I want to be. Mm. And that's what I have to work on myself is that you are not a failure. You are learning on the way and you are doing amazing compared to what you receive from your father. And so oftentimes what breaks my heart is when And also there's another aspect of that because we are all coming in this life, I believe, to experience a sense of separation through anything that happened in your life, trauma, abuse, you name it, and to hear from that so you can come back in a sense of belonging with you and with others. But there's still a part of me that when I see, because my stepdaughter was in an abusive environment, a, a father that was alcoholic and stuff like that, and then her mom rescue them and took them away but then the daughter that didn't know start to blame her mom for breaking up the family when the Mm -hmm. mom was trying to save her and so when i see the trauma developed and the programming developed and that's the 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 bliss and the almost the curse of knowing so much about trauma Mm. is because i can see how it's developed with young people at the age 
And beside offering validation, you cannot do much validation, presence, caring, but the wounds were already there. And yeah. also when I met her, I participated in a couple of reinforcing a couple of her wounds before I realized what I was doing. Mm. So that was break, break my heart the most is like dealing with the shame and the guilt that, okay, I was not here at the beginning and I've participated in a couple of wounds. We all do without knowing it. Mm -hmm. And so that's how I repair my heart at the same time, because I'm like, okay, you notice that stop blaming yourself, stop, start acting on it. And that's also a motivation. I mm. am my own motivation, but helping my stepdaughter really, really trying to not have to go through what I've went through. And I, at the same time, there is wisdom in it, mm -hmm. but I really try to do better than what my parents did. If that answered the question. Thank you for speaking to that, Quentin. I feel like right. parenthood is the one space where, God, it can mm -hmm. just be so hard to give ourselves when Absolutely. We so thank you for that. I, um, You're welcome. Really appreciate you saying that. Yeah. When you said, um, I'm learning it as I'm doing it. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. That's going to be my, yeah. my, my mantra for myself too. Yeah. Because um, how, how old is your, like, I can see sometimes uh, on Instagram, how old is your child? Two and a half. I have a five-year-old. Two? <laughs> you have the yeah. five and yeah. two? Yeah. So you, you understand. And especially because there is a specific bond between mother and children that it's different from a father and children or stepfather but yeah it's that it's that knowing that oh okay i want to pass down my wisdom not my wounds mm. right mm. <sighs> thank you for that um okay so the last <laughs> one is a, is a doozy the last question is what is your favorite food my favorite food um <laughs> My food for thoughts, I would say. My favorite food is really the gratitude and the love that I'm embodying more and more because a couple of a couple of years, I would say, I ago, so I would say even two years ago, I absolutely didn't know what gratitude was. Mm -hmm. I absolutely didn't know what love was. And I'm talking about two years ago. So when I went back with my partner, I took the risk to to tell her, I've never known how to love you because I didn't know how to love myself. So I'm discovering how to love for the first time. And sometimes I, I say that to my clients, I say, you have never been in a relationship with one another. You have been mm -hmm. in a relationship with the wound of the past and the programmings. Now, when you hear that, you get to be in a relationship with you and others. So my favorite food is and it's still something that is hard for me, challenging for me. It's to really feel joy, feel love, feel acceptance, feel gratitude. And mm. otherwise, I would say, yeah, rice with tofu. It's <laughs> my favorite food. <laughs> and I like, I, I'm, I'm vegan at the moment. I don't know if I will change at some point. I've been vegan for the planet and for the animals mainly. Uh, maybe I would change on the way. I don't know, but that right now it's working for me. Well, you're maybe. sandwiched between a vegan and a vegetarian, so you're you're in good company. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Quentin, you know, I feel like I have such a complicated relationship with social media, and then mm. there are 
people like you that remind me why there is so much beauty in these platforms, because I just feel like you are offering such immense value to everyone that comes across your account. Thank you for the way that you're showing up in the world. Thank you so much. And I appreciate you offering some value to us and our listeners. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for inviting me. I really appreciate you guys. Yeah. Mm. And we'll definitely have you back for a part two. So, so watch your emails. I'll be harassing you soon. I will. (laughs) All right. I will. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for hanging out with us here on Cheaper Than Therapy. We really appreciate you sharing your time with us. We mean it. We're so excited to announce that we're bringing back our now annual intensive retreat to kick off the new year. We call it From Self-Abandonment to Inner Belonging. It's going to be the first week in January, January 1st through the 6th in Carefree, Arizona at the most incredible location, Savannah Wellness Resort and Spa. Yeah. So during this week long immersive experience, we're going to be supporting you in doing the work that we are most passionate about doing with our clients, but also with ourselves. This work is all about pattern interruption, taking a hard look at the ways that we've been living that aren't necessarily in alignment with our full potential. Some of the ways we've been societally conditioned to abandon ourselves as a way to maintain our relationships, no matter how unfulfilling. So tangibly, what that looks like is working to understand our codependent patterns, doing a deep dive into shadow work, what that is and how we can start to understand our own shadow, using the tools from our background in depth psychology to support you in living a life that feels like it's filled with meaning and moving into a more interdependent way of operating in all of our relationships. So if all of this sounds like work that you're feeling called to do in your own life, we would obviously absolutely love for you to join us in January. Yeah. So head to the link in each of our Instagram bios, or you can go to Vanessa's website under retreats for some more information. And we just can't wait to kick off another New Year's together in Carefree. Yeah.